This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be exciting or unexpected. Unexpected is for podcasts about bizarre scientific revelations, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Oh, hey, it's that neglected hunk of ginger root at the bottom of your crisper, hoping you'll use it before it withers. Allie Ward, back with a very classic on-brand episode of Ologies. Is it about a virus or a vaccine or anything relevant to your life? Nope, not at all, which is why it's perfect. It's just a murky bucket of slop holding glimmering science information. Now, I loved every minute of recording and editing it. I wanted to just send it off with a big, long, detailed, and florid intro, but all you need is for me to just shut the fuck up and get the show started. I totally get it. And we will just as soon as I thank everyone on patreon.com slash ologies. They make every single week of the show possible from the start in 2017. Thank you to everyone wearing ologies merch that's available at ologiesmerch.com. We have masks should you need them. And thanks to everyone subscribed, rating the podcast, and of course, reviewing it so that I can read it, such as this review left by Argy, who writes, nobody will ever see this review. Oh, hi, Argy. Apparently, review number 12,094. Having said that, I would like to give that show this many stars. Argy, I'm right here. I told you I read all of them. Okay, alligator toxicology. Is there a topic more perfect for the holidays. <laughs> yes, yes, there's a lot of them, but we don't care because gator poisons. What's even happening with those? Okay, so the word alligator has roots in Spanish, el lagarto, meaning the lizard, even though alligators are not lizards. Uh, eco means house, and it comes from the Greek oikos, which you may remember from the oikology episode about decluttering your house. And toxicology has some dusty Greek origins, meaning poisoned arrow. So the study of poisoned homes of non-lizard lizards. So much to discuss. Just quick up top, an alligator is a crocodilian. Not all crocodilians are alligators. There's 26 recognized species of crocodilians, which includes true crocodiles, the alligators, caimans, narrow-nosed gharials, and false gharials. But mostly, we're going to be talking gators. So this ologist tweeted something about her field work, and I clicked on her bio and saw the words alligator ecotoxicology. I lost my shit quietly and then immediately tweeted that the world needed this conversation, and I have never been more correct. So she studied wildlife and conservation biology and is currently getting her master's in conservation ecology and sustainable development at the University of Georgia's Odom School of Ecology's Savannah River Ecology Laboratory. Her research involves tracking and monitoring toxicology of alligators in an area called the Savannah River Site. It is a 310 square mile former nuclear weapons production facility and a current nuclear waste storage site in South Carolina. 
But in lighter news, when asked on social media, she has admitted that the celebrity she's most often told she resembles is Meghan Markle. So imagine if Meghan Markle wore a headlamp and beamed while clutching a small bouquet of alligator hatchlings on the lapping shores of a moonlit bayou. So a cooler Meghan Markle. No offense, Meghan Markle. Also, audio note, we had some mysterious static here and there. So if it seems like I'm doing extra sides, it's just me cutting out the bad audio like bruises on an otherwise perfect peach. Thank you for bearing with us. So buckle up your chacos, slip on your Crocs, and grab a can koozie to get comfy for a conversation that covers everything from Nile crocodiles to airboats, hospitalizations, floating in a swamp at the witching hour, yeeting, millie rocking, chicken baiting, gator lassos, dipping sauces, flim flam about flim flam, radioactive fish, and so much more with alligator ecotoxicologist Laura Kojima. My pronouns are she, her. Great. And okay, ecotoxicology, I didn't know it existed until I started following you on Twitter. (laughs) Confession. Oh, I don't blame you. I didn't know it existed until I started grad school. (laughs) (laughs) What, What exactly is ecotoxicology? So it's the study of nature's interactions with toxic substances that are introduced. Majority of the toxic substances are anthropogenically sourced, which means human caused. So a lot of well-known ecotoxicological problems are ocean acidification that is a result of pollution, pesticides on pollinator populations. So I'm sure people have heard about Save the Bees, and that's because of pesticides and herbicides, and consequences of heavy metal exposure and ingestion, which is what I'm looking at with alligators. Oh, so it's the junk that we put into the earth and how it affects environment and the things that eat it and absorb it. Oh my gosh. Now, okay, on alligators, do they have a lot of like silver mercury fillings? What are the, what kind of metals we talking? I know they don't really have dental fillings, but. (laughs) I mean, their teeth are very questionable when they're in very highly toxic areas. So they probably could use some fillings, (laughs) but it's really sad. But Arsenic, cadmium, selenium, and mercury are like the four main elements. I work with looking at mercury in particular because my project is looking at the consumption risk associated with alligators at my field site. And when mercury is exposed to certain bacteria in aquatic areas because of the lack of oxygen, it gets converted into methylmercury, which is toxic. And I'm sure a lot of us have grown up being told, don't eat too much catfish or salmon because there's mercury in it. And so what I'm curious is whether or not there's a risk of eating alligator and being exposed to mercury as a result. Do a lot of people eat alligator? How big of a meat industry is that? So in Louisiana and Florida, there's alligator farms that people will buy alligator meat. I know I've had alligator jerky my first time I went to New Orleans. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely an industry. I'm from the West Coast, so I know it's not as widespread 
over here in California, but in the Southeast, most people have had gator or even turtle, something that to me would be kind of out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. And in South Carolina, where I'm doing my research, people apply for hunting permits annually to hunt alligator and consume the meat. It definitely is more common than you would think. Does it taste like chicken? I did not like it when I had it. It was very fishy when I had alligator jerky, but from everyone else I've talked to who said it tastes like chicken. So I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Side note. So folks have been eating alligator tail for centuries on this continent, long before it was called alligator Mississippiensis, before colonization, before alligator wrestling popped up in roadside attractions, before alligators being declared endangered in 1973, and before their rebound and farming. So as for alligators on your refined palate, imagine a chicken that lives in the ocean. Also, alligator tail meat, that's going to run you about $20 a pound. So just a few dollars shy of the price of lobster meat. So it's fancy and funky. I think it's probably all about the dipping sauce. Because whatever chicken is just like, it really just tastes like ranch or barbecue or hot wings. Exactly. (laughs) I definitely plan on trying actual like well cooked alligator meat and not just something from a farmer's market in New Orleans that they were (laughs) mass producing selling. (laughs) And how big do these alligators get? How honking are we talking? Oh my goodness. They can get really big. I have had an encounter with an alligator that was missing half its tail. Ouch. But he was full grown and with only half his tail, he was over 10 and a half feet. Oh. We actually caught him in a trap twice and we named him Jabba because he just looked like Jabba the Hutt, which is so <laughs> fat. <laughs> but you're able to measure their total length, even if they're missing part of their tail, by doubling their snout to their cloaca, which is where they pee and reproduce. You may remember the cloaca from any of our bird or herp episodes. And yes, it's the one-stop shop for peeing, eggs, sperm, poo, you name it. And I've oft said that if Steve Jobs designed a butthole, it would be a cloaca. It's streamlined. It's simple. It's clean. It's not always clean, but that's probably an individual thing. Anyway, cloaca. Find them at the underside base of the tail, which is pretty long. And so with that being doubled, he was... I believe 12.7 feet if he had his full tail. But alligators can get up to 14 feet. Uh, How do they lose their tails? I imagine they don't just like snap off like a fence lizards, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. So alligators are extremely aggressive and towards each other. I think I would be scared to be in the middle of an alligator fight. Males are just very territorial. And so likely what we think happened was Jabba got in a fight in his youth and someone definitely got his tail ripped off. But I think that uh, he probably got the better end of that fight because he's still alive. (laughs) He was also missing, or not missing, part of his eye was scratched. And that's how we were able to recognize him when we got him again because of his large size and the fact that his right eye just kind of looked like a glass eye. And we knew where his tail was missing. And we were just like, this gator loves his chicken because most of the gators do not like going back to the traps. What are the traps like? Are they, is it like, um, do you have to put like a minivan underwater and just load it full of snacks? <laughs> 
Oh, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> so these traps are really weird. And so the best way I can explain it is the trap has kind of a mouth that's the shape of a triangle. And in the back of the trap, I put a piece of raw chicken. Oh, side note, Laura sent me a photo with detailed info on what bungee does what. But essentially, just know this trap looks like two unfinished Ikea bookshelf pieces, kind of forming a V with then a long stick in the air, like a tail at one end. And it's all set up in the reeds near the banks or the shore. And it all holds a wire loop that tightens once the bait at the V is chomped. But the chomper doesn't get to scurry off so soon. And then the lasso is tied off to either a tree or a stake. Um, And so they're able to just kind of like hide in the water or go on to land once they get trapped. But it's when you're like doing it, it's very simple, surprisingly. (laughs) It sounds like kind of a a bigger scale operation as maybe like a lizard lassoing in the field. Exactly. Right. It's literally, yes, a hundred percent. It's literally like they just go through the, the lasso and it tightens up once they get the bait. You know, there should be some kind of Rube Goldberg where that triggers some kind of a trombone to just be like, womp, womp, womp. <laughs> sort of like, Facts. I actually was there when Java got trapped the second time. <gasps> oh, we no! saw one of, yeah, it was really funny. We were on the airboat and it was nighttime and we were checking my traps and we noticed that there was an alligator that was right in front of one. And so we stayed to the side and all of a sudden we see one of my alligators that I'm GPS tracking. It was swimming away, she says. And so we're all like, oh, look, let's go look at the transmitter. And then all of a sudden I hear some splashing and no one else from on the boat heard it. And we go over and the, he just like had gotten trapped literally while we were there. I was so bummed because if we were just like a foot to the left, we would have saw it happen because he's so big. But I mean, better than nothing. <laughs> Oh, poor Java. <laughs> I know. He really wanted his chicken. He's like, I've been through so much. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, um, so many questions. Very, very shameless one I'm going to ask. Alligator versus crocodile. What do we have in North America? I mean, I know one's crocodile's got a skinny mouth, right? Yes. Okay. They definitely have a narrower snout. Okay. What else is different about them? So the main distinctions are crocodiles actually get a lot bigger than alligators. In North America, we have the American alligator, which is distributed throughout most of the Southeast. So from Texas to Oklahoma, there's a small population in Oklahoma. And then the American crocodile is only in Southeast Florida. And so they're not doing too hot because I think I don't know too much about American crocs, but I do know that they are more specific on their climate that they can like reproduce and thrive in, whereas alligators are just very much so generalist. Crocodiles do tend to be bigger. American alligators and American crocodiles are pretty similar in size. I think American crocs can just get a little bit bigger than them. 
Now, American crocodiles can get about five feet larger than American gators, and crocs in North America can reach nearly 20 feet and weigh 2,000 pounds. So many pounds. But saltwater crocs in India and Southwest Asia and the northern coast of Australia, those can top 20 feet and weigh in at 3,000 pounds, about as heavy as your car give or take a couple of umbrellas and empty travel mugs. So other than the degree of absolute unitness, what else distinguishes a croc from a gator? Also, the snouts are different. So American alligators are, have a what we call the U-shaped snout. It's just more robust, whereas crocodiles have a more narrow snout, which is the V-shaped snout. And then alligators honestly look less scary. They have an overbite and it looks cute in my opinion. <laughs> Whereas crocodiles, their teeth are kind of just all over the place. And the main thing with crocodiles is they do have an overbite, but their fourth lower tooth on, on their lower jaw sticks out. And that's like another major distinction because alligators just have the overbite. They don't have any bottom teeth sticking out. Whereas the crocs do. So to recap, crocodiles are a little bit bigger. They have narrower snouts and a lower jaw snaggle situation. Whereas alligators are a little smaller. They have a broader snooter and a doofy overbite that is very cute. Now, how about a vibe check? I do think crocodiles look a little bit more intimidating than alligators. And behaviorally, crocodiles are less chill than alligators. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that alligators are um, they love to fight. They'll throw down. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like, especially if you're out there at night? Like, what is a night like for you? You're on an airboat at night looking for <laughs> alligators in like dark water. Like, what? How do you even deal with that? That's amazing. Okay, we had a little audio hiccup here, so apologies. But Laura says that she feels comfy when she's out doing the fieldwork as a team with her very alligator-experienced and great advisor, Dr. Ben Parrott, who, disappointingly, does not also study subtropical birds. And I'm sure that that is a joke Dr. Parrott has never once heard, ever, in his life. Happy to be the first. Also, Laura says that the get the willies factor kind of depends on your ride. So, a smaller, lower vessel with fewer lights, it's kind of a nope boat. So, I just did not feel comfortable because the lake can be really sketchy in the dark. Whereas when we're in the airboat, there's like three three to four of us and the airboat has much brighter light so we can see what's going on. And I just feel safer with mm -hmm. having three other people with me. And so it definitely is a intimidating process, I think, the first time around, but I've gotten really used to it. And I basically became nocturnal during the summer. Really? Because all my trapping was at night. Yes, we definitely did try trapping during the day the first time around. And that meant we left traps overnight, but we ended up getting alligators that were getting attacked by other males. And so we decided to just set traps around from anywhere from 2 to 4 p.m. and then let them sit until the sun went down, which was usually around 9. And if it was 9 and we didn't get any alligators, we would just sit on the boat and wait a few hours until they would come into the traps. We knew we would have a better success rate leaving them overnight, but also it was just too unpredictable to do so because 
they're just so aggressive. So after they saw animals getting jumped by other alligators, they stopped leaving traps overnight and instead would just hang out on boats until the party started. So midnight, 1 a.m., gators coming out for nibbles. And then once they're in the trap, they would follow up, process them, get their samples until the wee hours of 5 a.m. or so. So it's a rough night in the field, but the alternative was leaving these mostly bro gators snared all night, which is just a one-way ticket to nibble town. But um, all of them had puncture wounds. And Mm. every time we came near a trap, we saw another male like nervously swimming away. They knew they were guilty. (laughs) Oh, my God. Just them swim away. I was like, get out of here. It's like a chihuahua that's been digging through the garbage. You're like, go on, get. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my gosh. A hundred percent. But yeah, I mean, honestly, the worst thing about trapping at night is the bugs, in my opinion. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. That was going to be my follow-up question. I want to know best bug repellent. And also, okay, you're on a boat, you're on a lake, it's summer, it's 11.45 p.m. What are you scrolling on your phone? Are you writing in a journal? Are you guys just, are you gossiping? Did you learn everyone's secrets? What is that kind of camaraderie like when you're on a boat waiting for a huge alligator to nibble on chicken? Oh my god, I love that. Okay, first, best bug repellent for me personally is Picardin. Um, I absolutely cannot stand the smell of DEET. And I think DEET is known for destroying clothes as well. And Picardin actually like just is meant to be on clothing. Okay, I looked this up and Picardin sounds like a cologne from 2007, but rather it comes in many brands and forms. And Laura says that it works wonders. She misses it on her clothes and she has a skin safe type for any exposed flesh. But sometimes you just have to accept that bugs will bug you. They're good at it. They love it. And we get a lot of like gnats that just come around us. So bug repellent won't do anything. It's literally like the moth meme. They just (laughs) love the light. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I would just want to wear like a veil, like a beekeeper veil. Just like, just don't get in my face. Well, I did get one in my ear and had to go to the hospital to get it removed. (laughs) Yeah, I have six earrings on one of my ears and I have my hair in braids. And I kept hearing them come near. And I think all the headlamps were reflecting off of my earrings. Oh. And eventually I just hear, and then all the, it gets really loud. And I was like, no, you got to be kidding me. Oh. And this was one of the first days we were putting a GPS tag on an animal. So here's my advisor basically doing the surgical process to do that. And I'm just like twitching oh. my head because I'm trying to get this bug to fly out. And long story short, I had the bug in my ear all night, had to go process my data with the bug in my ear. And I went to bed that night with it in my ear because I was so tired. It was five in the morning. I just didn't give a crap. Oh my God. And then when you went to like urgent care or whatever the next day, what did they pull out? What was it? It was the tiniest little gnat. Like it was oh. so small. The physician's assistant who took it out was just laughing because he saw me take a picture of me flipping it off because I was just <laughs> like, I need to show everyone the bug that was in my ear that sent me to the hospital during a pandemic. Like oh I didn't want to go to the doctors. But oh. yeah, so bug repellent can only do so much. Well, you obviously must 
like what you do a lot to have these kinds yeah. of adventures and to put up with it. Like you mentioned you're from the West Coast. What um, part of the West Coast are you from? I'm from California. So Laura was raised in San Diego and her dad is a Navy vet and her mom has bravely learned to love reptiles. And she seems to have had a lot of good moral support to pursue her love, including Dr. Brian Todd, who started her down the path to get her bachelor's in wildlife, fish and conservation biology from the University of California, Davis, whose mascot is a horse and not an aquatic reptile. What brought you to do your research in South Carolina and to do it on alligators? Because I also am from California and I do not recall any alligators that were not in zoos here. So how did you <laughs> how did you cozy up to these beasts? Okay, so a lot of people's origin stories usually start with Steve Irwin. And <laughs> I mean, he definitely was an influence in becoming a wildlife biologist, but my origin story for alligators is a bit more unorthodox. So my dad and I would watch this show. The show Axemen on the History Channel. So much banjo music, humidity, and pistols tucked into the waistbands of short shorts. And there are a lot of quirky characters on the show, which I think is why they got a show. Mm -hmm. And so there's this one guy who did a lot of his logging in um, the bayou of Louisiana. So he'd just be down and dirty in the swamp and he was a total character was have no shirt on yeah. like 50 years old uh had the thickest bayou accent and wore booty shorts and his name was shelby and he <laughs> would just like jump on alligators in the swamp grab snakes and bite their head off and like make a scarf out of them and just like had this this guy gave no fucks <laughs> so, <laughs> he was just hilarious well, well, uh... What, what the, the hell, hell was man? that? I know there's a damn big ass log down there, but I also know there's a big ass alligator down there too. Give me, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Give me my gun. And so Laura says she's Mexican American, and when she turned 15, her mom asked if she'd like to have a quinceanera, which is a celebration of the transition toward young adulthood. You know, there's maybe a ball gown and a cake, perhaps a DJ, definitely a photo booth, all eyes on you. It might be some teenager's version of heaven on earth. Laura's response was. Uh, I don't know. Like, I like going to the parties, but I don't know if I want to have my own. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, well, you can either have a quinceanera or you can go wherever you want. You can choose a place in the U.S. Um, so within reason to go to for turning 15. And I was Aww. like, I want to go to Louisiana and go to a swamp. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we went to New Orleans. We did a swamp tour and saw alligators. And I was just like, this is the coolest thing in the world. Fast forward to years later, I get my bachelor's degree from wildlife, fish and conservation biology at UC Davis. And I realized I really liked working with reptiles. I worked in the reptile lab all throughout my time at Davis. And it was just an amazing experience because I was originally pre-vet, but I was just bored working with like house pets that weren't herpetofauna. It's just like, mm -hmm. I want to work with reptiles and amphibians and just loved doing research. And so I worked with USGS um, for a field season after I graduated doing snake stuff. And as much as I love doing technician work, I realized I still kind of wanted to be part of more of the science and like data analyses. 
And I saw my graduate position advertised on the Texas A&M wildlife job board and was just like, I have to apply. Like, I don't know if I'm qualified for this or not, but I just need to apply because alligators. (laughs) Amazing. Oh my gosh. What was it like the moment that you found out that you got it? I was shocked. I was kind of speechless, to be honest, because everyone I knew was like, there's no way you're going to move to the Southeast. You're such a Californian. You're live, breathe, die California. Like (laughs) you wouldn't last a day in the Southeast. And I was like, well, I really loved Louisiana. I mean, I went again um, a few years after the first time going. My mom and I fell in love. And so I was just like, I don't know. I can't stay in California my entire life. Like, I probably will come back after I graduate because I Mm -hmm. love it here. But um, I just don't feel like I will uh, ever forgive myself if I say no to this opportunity out of fear of living somewhere else. And Mm -hmm. so I kind of just said, screw it. Let's do it. Like, my advisor called me and told me, he's like, you got the position. You can have a week to decide. And I was like, I don't need to decide. I'm going to take this. Like, this is a dream opportunity. (laughs) That's great. Oh, my gosh. Who is that person that you think is out of your league or that job that's over your pay grade or that exciting city you want to move to? What if you took that risk? What would you have to lose? And think of all that you could gain. I'd just say, just do it. We're all going to die anyway. I mean, no offense. Okay. And so now talking about heavy metal alligators, when it (laughs) comes to um, the mercury ingestion that you're finding, is that from eating fish that have eaten fish that have eaten fish or is that completely from a different source no you hit the nail on the head right there Aha. <laughs> definitely so that process right there is biomagnification when it just keeps moving up the trophic level and since alligators are apex predators they're at the top mm-hmm. and i mean at least when they're full grown they're at the top but um And that basically makes them more susceptible. And since they're so long lived, like they can live up to 70 years. I think the oldest one in captivity was 83 years old. So a chap by the name of Saturn, the long reigning world's oldest alligator, lived in a Moscow zoo for a long time, but just passed away about five months ago. And he was known for being an alligator that Hitler enjoyed visiting in the Berlin Zoo until the Berlin Zoo was bombed and Saturn was found wandering among the wreckage of the war-torn city looking for food. But now Muja is the oldest alligator and he lives in Serbia. He also survived World War II bombings, which is a great reminder that alligators are very hardy and were not that far away historically from world wars started by homicidal white supremacists. Anyway, alligators eat a lot of rabbits and fish and they just snack over a lifetime, right? It just means that they're going to bioaccumulate contaminants over time. So bioaccumulation basically is that they're ingesting contaminants at a higher rate than they're excreting them. So they just kind of stay in their system. And then with mercury, specifically methyl mercury, it's a super soluble contaminant, which means it will just like be very easily ingested and kind of stay in the muscles of whatever's consuming it. How does that mercury affect or methyl mercury affect reptiles versus mammals, say? Reptiles are really resilient. I do know mammals are more at risk with that type of exposure. Mm -hmm. Reptiles are just kind of 
crazy. They mm-hmm. literally, there's a reason why alligators haven't really needed to evolve in the last like 80 million years. <laughs> They're just very resilient. But the problem with that though, is that people don't want to invest in research towards them when it seems like nothing's wrong with them, you know, in that respect, there's not a lot of literature out on the different effects that some of these metals have on these animals. Cause I mean, there's endocrine disruptors that are definitely part of ecotoxicology and that's like pesticides such as DDT. Oh, and pharmaceuticals too, from our little amber bottles to our mouths to our pee, to the water, to alligators. And just like a game of telephone, some shit's going to get wacky. I'm sure you've heard of birth control getting into the water and causing sex reversal in animals Mm -hmm. and uh, just other compounds like plastic and PCBs that are just not good for the development of some of these animals. But in respect to metals, there's still a lot to be done because there's not really any observable effects in a lot of these animals. Walk me through a little bit of what's in the guts of an alligator. How different is it from humans? Do they have like livers and spleens and kidneys in the same numbers that we do? (laughs) Yes, we did actually dissect a pretty um, big size alligator once and it was kind of shocking how much their um, internals looked like ours. One of Laura's colleagues, the amazing Kristen Zamedis, actually looks at what alligators eat. And spoiler alert, her job is not boring. She's found a crazy amount of things in their stomachs and had to pump like 300 alligators' stomachs in the summer. I'm just like, I could not imagine doing that. She's a champion. Oh, I would love to... uh... Uh, send her a text or something. Ask her what the weirdest thing is that she's found. I'll put it aside because <laughs> I'm sure you'd be like, oh, oh my God, it's like yes. cell phones or, you know, God only knows someone's car keys. <laughs> she's definitely have found some weird things. I can totally ask her to find out. Yes, I made Laura text Kristen while we were recording. And like any good alligator ecotoxicologist, She was down to dish. She said she's found a mango, some weird intestines that she couldn't quite identify. Feral cats are pretty common. And Kristen added that she once pumped a freshly ingested raccoon. And she felt bad for having taken the big lug's recent lunch. Like, come on, man, I was digesting that. She also finds a surprising amount of bugs, leading her to believe that if it moves, a gator will bite it. And yes, this includes dogs and humans and deer and just things and people that, trust me, you do not want to Google or visualize or experience with too many senses. When you dissect an alligator, what does that smell like? Oh, God. It smelled awful. I remember I had a mask with me and I was just like, I'm going to keep this on because I can't do this right now. Oh, gosh. Swamp fish. Amazing. It's just rancid. Oh, I bet. Just like rancid, like swampy fish stuff. Yes, exactly. Literally rancid, just like, I don't know, like a really ripe trash can. (laughs) (laughs) ripe (laughs) that's the best word i can use when you're um when you're checking on them after you've trapped them how are you measuring the levels of heavy metals in in their tissue are you having to do tissue biopsies or how does that work yes so 
a little background because I realize I've kind of gone on so many tangents. I haven't gone over what my research is in whole. So by looking at the human consumption risk associated with eating alligators, I have to think of like what are the main parts of alligators that are consumed and tail muscle is the most commonly consumed part. And I take tail punch biopsies using a circular 10 millimeter biopsy punch and I give them a local anesthetic lidocaine in the area where I'm going to acquire the punch so that it's completely painless for them. And I just take a really tiny sample. Um, and I take blood every time we get an animal. We The first thing we do after restraining them is retrieving blood. And so I'm going to use both blood and tail muscle to see if blood can potentially just be an indicator of mercury levels in the tail so that tail muscle doesn't necessarily need to be acquired for future studies and just also to get an idea of how much mercury is in the tail itself and if humans are at risk of consuming it. I can't imagine how you can restrain a tail. I believe you've used the term yeet on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) July 25th. 2020, Laura tweets, the yeet herd round the world. And if you don't know what yeeted means, let's let her expound. My my friend, that was his way of describing it. You got yeeted by an alligator. <laughs> so first time I went out in the field, there's only three people. And that was because we didn't think we we're going to get too large of animals, like maybe eight feet max. Second time I went out, there was only three of us. And that's when we first got Jabba. We got two 11-footers and a 10-footer. I had told my advisor when we were at the first alligator that was 11 feet, I was like, I don't think we should just have three people. I think we need a a fourth. And he was like, we can't expect people to give up their time to come and help us. And then we got Jabba and he was like, you're right. We need a fourth. We'll make it happen. Because <laughs> Jabba was dragging him into the water. Oh my he was God. trying to restrain him. So it was just a mess. And with four people, it goes so smoothly because I have me you know, dictating the measurements that I get from these animals. And I have two people restraining it. And then my advisor, who's usually taking blood or helping me with getting measurements and stuff, because him and I kind of just have gotten to a point, which we can read each other's minds to get all the data we need. And we just need two people. She said, usually the tail isn't problematic. Usually. I just had really bad luck the one day that I was out and I was trying to reach for my data sheet. And my advisor kept telling me, watch for the tail, watch for the tail. And I was like, I'm fine. Like, I just need to grab this, this and that. And he's like, and the tail was swaying quite a bit. And he's just like, Laura, you need to really watch for the tail. Um, And I just kind of like dismissed it. And all of a sudden I feel boom on my back. And I just fly forward and freeze for a second because I presume that the wind's knocked out of me. And once I realize I'm okay, we just look at each other and he goes, I told you to watch for the tail. (laughs) Are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm fine. But what just happened? Wow. Did it leave a mark? No, thankfully it didn't. No bruises or anything. I had my roommate check the next morning. (laughs) This was at like five in the morning too. We had a really late night that night. So I think I was just so mentally numb that I was like, okay, time to keep going with my day. 
Oh, what a trooper. What a badass. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> the bug in the ear was worse. The bug in the ear was worse. Oh, my God. Oh, that is shocking that a gnat, a tiny gnat is. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the best realization ever. Oh, my God. So, yes, yeeted aka thwacked. Now, in her tweet, she posted a screenshot of a text from a friend who, upon hearing this tale of hers, declared that she had been milli-rocked by a gator. And fear not, I have researched this term for us. The milli-rock is a dance that looks like you're determined to swat away bees, but cooler. It, it looks like you are yeeting researchers and you are a giant crocodilian. Now, despite this, Laura says that she would get hit by the tail of an 11-foot alligator every night if it meant not getting another tiny bug in her ear, which honestly sounds like some kind of weird fable or a fairy tale about how to tell a regular person from an enchanted swamp princess with magical reptilian gifts. Now, what about, let's say that, that, you, that you're finding high mercury levels in these alligators. Is there a way to like chelate that? Is there a way to help the alligators or what would be the next step? So my work is at the Savannah River site, which is a Department of Energy owned property. And it used to be a former nuclear weapons plant. Pardon? And so in order to produce radioactive material, you need to have bodies of water nearby these reactors so that all the heat effluent, basically waste discharge, can go into that water and let it settle. Okay, quick but complicated aside. Laura explains that the contaminants in these waters can come from the former nuclear weapons facility and also the stores of old coal ash and what's called boiler slag that can settle into the surrounding bodies of water. So short of draining the lakes, she says, it's a hard thing to clean up. Now, in the area where she does her trapping, the nuclear reactor was only in service for four years. But the alligators are mobile as hell. They can swim up to 20 miles an hour. That's three times faster than Olympian Michael Phelps. So she uses GPS monitoring to see if they get closer to the nuclear facilities or if they leave and are in hunting territory. And she said she does see people fishing on the river, but she isn't sure if the potential danger phases them. And according to some studies I looked into, subsistence fishing in that area is more common for people of lower financial means. And there was a paper published this year titled Legacy Contaminants in Aquatic Biota in a Stream Associated with Nuclear Weapons material production on the Savannah River site. And it found that fish collected from sites adjacent to certain facilities had significantly higher radiocesium concentrations compared to fish from other sites. And although some government-run websites attest that the water is being treated and that mercury in the treated water has been reduced by more than 95%, the South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control does state their intentions for the, quote, timely treatment of the 37 million gallons of liquid high-level waste and closure of the storage tanks, some of which have leak sites, end quote. So not only does Laura wrestle alligators at 3 a.m. for her job, but she does it in the name of cleaning up ecological toxins and keeping gators and people safer. Amazing. Do you have to take any precautions as someone who works at those sites for yourself? So I always have to call out we have kind of like a security service at site. Like in order to access site, you have to be badged and go through like an eight hour training. So it's very strict, which I think is really good considering the wildlife that is there. And I always have to call out to that security and let them know my grid, where I'm going, how long I'm going to be out there for and how many people I'm going to have with me. 
and I also have to bring extra radio out. And they do tell me there are heavy amounts of contaminations in the water. Be careful. But that's about it. Otherwise, like I'm, I'm going in this water. I have to get wet to set the traps. And I mean, I think as long as I'm not having too long term of exposure, I will be okay. I think if it was like, me going out every single day for three years, then I'd be a little bit more concerned. But since it's just twice a week during the summer and try to get as many animals as we can. Mm -hmm. And you're not you're not filling up like your Nalgene bottle in the in the river or the lake, I imagine. (laughs) Absolutely not. We bring our own water with us every time. (laughs) Not uh, not fishing in there yourself, right? No, <laughs> I'd be way too scared. Yeah, oof. Have um, fish with three eyes. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're like I'm good. Um, I have so many questions from listeners. Can I breeze through some? Yes, of course. This is the first alligator episode we've ever done, obviously, and Ooh. people are pumped. But before, of course, you know that we donate to a cause chosen by the ologist, and Laura was so passionate about it going to the Wildlife Conservation Society, which is a nonprofit private organization established in 1895 that saves wildlife and wild places by understanding critical issues and crafting science-based solutions and conservation actions that benefit nature and humanity. And in particular, these funds will go directly to the critically endangered Siamese Crocodile Conservation Project in Laos. Okay, and that donation was made possible by the following sponsors who let us throw money at reptiles. Allergies with Allie Ward is sponsored by Claritin. So luckily for those that live with the symptoms of allergies, you can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This is designed for serious allergy sufferers and Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. It's this double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available. Relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease just boom down the hatch you can get non-drowsy relief of allergy symptoms and with claritin d you can still make the most of your day without compromise or looking like you've been crying are you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies it's time to live claritin clear your pod mother Jarrett, terrible allergies and was recently shooting an indie movie that was filming in a house that had seven cats guess who's allergic to cats him so yeah we always have claritin in like each of our cars essentially claritin d is the third in our relationship. It's fast and powerful relief. It's just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier 
easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you're not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash ologies. Oh, Kiwiko. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids kiddos busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. (gasps) That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies. Okay, your crocodilian inquiries and alligator answers. Oh, people are excited. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, This is a weird question, so I'm going to ask it first. Um, Angela Clark wants to know, okay, native Floridian here, the anaconda eating gator that exploded Please discuss. Tegan Andrews agrees. Have you ever heard of an anaconda eating gator that exploded? I think, wait, I've seen a picture of a uh, Burmese python eating an alligator and it's like body got ripped up from doing it because snakes will do that. They'll eat things that are way too big for them and get their entire like intestines just kind of ripped out. But anaconda 
eating alligator. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that does sound like something that would happen in Florida. Yes, it does. It <laughs> really does. However, I'm wondering if she means a Burmese python that got eaten by an alligator or if she meant what I just said about the Burmese python that ate the alligator and exploded. <laughs> It's possible. And I feel like at least one of them was smoking a cigarette at this time. Maybe the alligator was like I just picture in Florida, there's an alligator smoking a cigarette and a Burmese python wearing jorts tries to eat it. I don't know what's going on down there, um, but I love it. And I po- apologize. I do not have a scientific answer to that question. <laughs> that was mostly alligator gossip. You're dying to know more about this, and I know because you are me. So I Googled for us on October 5th, 2005, a day that will live in herpetology. It was a 13-foot invasive python, which ate a six-foot alligator. And in case you didn't get to smell photos of this, allow me to just paint a pic. So imagine trying to shove a wine bottle into a sock, but the sock ripped and died and then was bobbing and rotting on the surface of a swamp. And it was giant. Also, if you ever build a time machine, maybe don't let anyone release their pet pythons in Florida because scientists estimate that there are now up to 300,000 of these giant, loose, hungry pythons. And they are eating way too many raccoons and opossums and bobcats and rabbits and foxes, all kinds of mammals. Oh, and I guess it's as long as you've got the time machine fired up, just swoop by the zoo and feed Hitler to Saturn. Burp. Jeffrey Bradshaw and Hope did ask if the Florida gator versus Burmese python thing is still going on. And Jeffrey wants to know, are they eating any of the invasive pythons? And if not, can we train them to? I wish we could train them to. That would be awesome. That'd be great. But basically, Burmese pythons are really thriving in the area where American crocodiles are. And mm. the thing with these pythons is they are egg eaters and they'll go and just like destroy a nest and they will also go and eat juvenile alligators and crocodiles and i mean alligators they take a while to grow they need to have a good surplus of food in order to get big they have maternal care till they're five years old which means they stay near where their nest site is until they're probably about um three to four feet and they still will do their little laser beam call to their mom even if they're like (laughs) too big to be doing so if they're under a lot of distress so i do think burmese pythons are a big problem in eradicating the american crocodile population alligators are pretty abundant throughout florida and the southeast in general so i can't see Burmese pythons necessarily doing too much damage to them, but it is still an issue for sure. Mm. Well, actually, a lot of people had social and behavioral questions. And Kendra St. Clair wants to know, what are the social lives of gators like? And uh, Ciara Craig Peshaw asked, do alligators have friends? Do they feel love? And uh, Carrie Kimo wants to know, has an alligator ever looked for some love and snuggles from a handler? Do they have a soft side? And a few people want to know if they're just grumpy because it's true they have a lot of teeth, but no toothbrush, which is probably from a song or from a joke. Please see the 1998 cinematic opus, 
The Water Boy, in which Adam Sandler asked that of a biology professor. Also, may I suggest that patrons Alexa Forsman, Kimberly Cooley, and Xavier Rivera consider getting three-way best friend necklaces for all asking the same question. Also, real quick, crocodilians can make all kinds of sounds. They do kind of lusty pillow talk, some squeaky pleas for mom, and crocodile tears are not a myth, so let's bust that flimflam that they're flimflam. So I looked it up, and alligator scientist Dr. Ken Vlet videotaped caiman eating gator chow and found that five of the seven animals teared up as they tore into their food. Some of their eyes were frothing and bubbling, some real Meryl Streep action happening over here. Nobody really knows why, but I like to think that they're having a ratatouille moment each time, just thinking about life and love and regret and beauty and rats temperament wise like what is their social structure like so the females tend to keep to themselves i'm only putting transmitters on males because they're more mobile than females the females will just kind of do their own thing usually if it's breeding season they'll stay near a nest or they'll just overall be more discreet i definitely have had a male bias from what i track too. And I do think it's because males are just out and about. Like my transmitter animals are always on the go. So in winter months, alligators usually brumate, which is a less sleepy version of hibernation. But even on warmer winter days, they may kind of stumble out of their dens and burrows and just soak up a couple of rays. It's November and Laura says her gators are still cruising around like nobody's business, except that it's very much her business. Like it's her job. But they're also grumpy because they don't like being around each other. And I get very nervous when I see that there's a movement overlap with my males because I don't want them crossing paths given how territorial they can be. And like I said earlier, Java just didn't get beat up like that for no reason. They will fight for mates. They'll fight for territory. They just do not like each other. I actually just hate you. But females, I think, are less aggressive. And like I said, they just, they keep to themselves. And some alligators will hang out together. We've gotten plenty of big eye shines out at night mm. um, with a few just almost looking like an adult pod, because that's what the babies are called, a pod. Otherwise, they tend to keep to themselves. The babies, though, will for sure hang out near each other. And it's really cute just seeing them, like, kind of all disperse when they don't want to be captured. But they'll stay in the same territory, whereas adults will not do that. Do they still, do they have maternal care as well, like crocodiles? Yes, they do. So they will make the little laser beam noises. We actually did some hatchling releases for a PhD student who's doing work with hatchlings in my lab. We found out that a female adopted some of the hatchlings that she released. And when we drove up to add to the releases, all of a sudden we hear a giant splash and we just see her like coming near us not close enough to be scared but she kind of stayed about like 10 feet away so she could keep an eye on us to make sure that we weren't grabbing any of the babies that were already in that pod it was really cute can they run fast i mean if an alligator if a territorial mother alligator were 10 feet away from me i would just i would call a priest i would like write my will i'd be like it's over (laughs) for me is how far can they 
get 10 feet away from you and until you're in their mouth? I've only seen them swim. I've seen one walk in person Mm -hmm. and they walk so awkwardly. But if I was in the water, yeah, that's just it. You can just say goodbye to life. Remember, these gators can gun it up to 20 miles an hour in the water, but just 11 miles an hour on land, which is pretty slow if you're trying to outrun them in a car, say. But 11 miles per hour is fast as hell on foot, people. Unless you smoke a Mountain Dew, there is no way you can pull a sustained five-minute mile to outrun an alligator, which is hungry to chomp on your crotch until you die. And you have less of a chance in the water, which might also be murky and maybe contaminated. So how do these chunks haul ass when they don't even have asses? Well, I found a 2019 study titled Divergent Evolution of Terrestrial Locomotor Abilities in Extant Crocodilia, which said that, quote, extant crocodilia, alligators, crocs, are exceptional because they employ almost the full range of quadrupedal footfall patterns, gates used by mammals, including asymmetrical gates such as galloping and bounding. In a word, they have moves. But yes, back to the way they slice through the bayou. Because they swim so fast. And I mean, we've had a try going after one when we were in a boat just to snare it and it was zooming away. It could have gone a lot quicker to, you know, make sure that it got away from us but it was just kind of like gliding along and it was still kind of outrunning us they're incredible swimmers will be in the boat coming near one and they'll almost do like a a dolphin not a dolphin jump but they'll kind of like flop over and death roll themselves back into the water because they get so scared of being around humans Okay, by the by, researchers have studied the death roll behavior, and I just spent way too long reading a 2007 Journal of Experimental Biology article titled Death Roll of the Alligator, Mechanics of Twist Feeding in Water, and it involved a slow motion video of a few dozen baby alligators who had wooden coffee stir sticks, and I'm going to wager money that they were stolen from Starbucks, but they were taped to their baby gator tails to figure out that when they roll, the arms, I guess they have arms, and legs tuck in like a figure skater spinning like a top, and then their tails angle out like an L. Also, the paper said, spinning is a mechanism that can tear apart large prey by subjecting the tissue to torsional stresses. Animals and their tissues, it continues, are weak in torsion, which if you just pictured an animal or yourself being shredded in a bog right now, you're not alone. If you are alone, just please hug yourself. And actually, tell me a little bit about their diet, if you don't mind. Kylie Caroba, Elena Reynolds, both wanted to know about diet. Yeah, Noah Sullivan wanted to know, are they picky eaters? Bailey wanted to ask, has evolution affected what they eat? And a ton of people, Angie B, Samantha Heineke, Monica, and Elle McCall, all want to know. First time question asker, Angie B asks, I went on a swamp boat tour and they fed them marshmallows. Seems like a bad idea. Can they eat marshmallows? Samantha wants to know if they're addicted to marshmallows. Are they bad for them? <laughs> like, what's with this marshmallow habit they have? And what do they usually eat? So I've been on two swamp tours. I do not know why they give them marshmallows. They'll sometimes <laughs> give them hot dogs. 
and that's like okay fine but the marshmallow as i've like gotten in the crocodilian world i'm just like man that's kind of insulting that's an empty calorie that like their poor intestines have to deal with oh i asked the internet who has apparently asked people giving swamp boat tours and it's because marshmallows look like eggs like floating eggs and they love eggs so imagine someone tossing you your favorite hearty healthy sandwich and then you took a bite and it was mostly air corn syrup and boiled pig tendon Oof! such a cruel bamboozle but in respect to their diet so alligators are total generalists and i think this is why they've done so well through evolution and just their distribution in the southeast is so wide because of the fact that they're just really open to eating whatever when they're first hatched they have a yolk reserve that basically lets them be set for about a year they technically won't need to eat anything because once they hatch which is around late summer it only is a few months until they need to go in through a brumation period which means like they're just not mobile during the winter and so they kind of rely on that egg yolk reserve to hold them over until spring and then they'll go for insects and so when a reptile is really young they usually need a lot of protein so juveniles will still be somewhat opportunistic in respect to getting insects, amphibians, small fish like mosquito fish and other inverts like shrimp, maybe tiny crawdads. The adults, however, will just go for what they can get. We've seen a six foot adult with a three foot carp in its mouth. It looked like a dog with a giant bone. It was so cool. And so they definitely love their fish. I'm sure plenty of people have seen crazy pictures of a crocodile jumping out of the water to eat a bird or something. Alligators will do the same thing. There's plenty of birds who try to predate on their nest. So they get their revenge when they're older. (laughs) They'll go after mammals like deer. There's a lot of invasive hogs in the Southeast. So they'll go after those too. Snakes, turtles are victims. And of course, alligators love to eat other alligators unfortunately oh my gosh yes Uh, awful ella thompson wanted to know do alligators use spare offspring as snacks does that happen how often do they eat each other it's honestly it seems like it's more frequently than like one would like to know and that's mainly from what i've heard from my colleague who's doing all this stomach pumping she's found plenty of evidence of other alligators. Laura says that sometimes alligators get reared in the lab and cared for and coddled and fostered and are released into the wild and they swim away like dandelion wishes in the water. And then sometimes an adult alligator will just breeze through and eat the babies like Pac-Man. I I wasn't there, but hearing it, I was just like, what is happening? Like, I can't believe they're that (laughs) so cruel. It's it's just a cruel world out there. I mean, it's like popcorn. They're just kind of there and they swim so slow. They can't stay underwater that long when they're hatchling. So for a big guy, it's just like a free for all if he finds the pod. And so that's why like they need mothers nearby or else they're screwed and the mom can only get to them so quickly. Oh my God. That's so heartbreaking. You're like, we just raised that. I know it's crazy because realistically 
by being um, hatched in captivity, we increased their survival by a lot. It's just kind of disappointing when they're in the wild and it's like, well, <laughs> that, that sucks. Oh, I'm so sad. Um, I know, those poor sweet little babies. <laughs> I know. Um, a bunch of people, Anakin, Jeniak, Ewan Munro, and Jack Brownfeld all wanted to know about their jaw strength. <laughs> Ellen asked, why are they so rubbish at opening their mouths when they are arguably the greatest of all time at biting? And and when you're restraining them, when you're getting whipped around by tails, is there just duct tape around the jaws? Yes. So when we get an alligator, we pull it up onto land or onto the boat with its snare and its snare is usually tied off to a rope and the rope is tied off to the tree or to the boat because we can't let the alligator go with that around its neck. So to help calm the animals, the first thing they do, either on the boat or on land, is to throw a towel over its head because once the eyes are covered, they kind of freeze. And some other people, side note, might subdue an alligator by rubbing their bellies. And this is called tonic immobility. It's a little dicey. Don't mistake their chill for a spa day reaction. It's the animal's response to a threat. But Laura and her researchers simply subdue the critter with the towel and they work fast. They they just don't know what to do. Even if their mouth is like open while the towel's over their eyes, they can't see anything. They don't know what to do. So we just go behind them and then put all our force on the top of their jaw and then grab underneath it and restrain it. And someone will always be ready. If not, two people will always be ready. I always have like three rolls of tape, duct tape and electrical tape on me just for an in case of emergency situation. And so we get that mouth taped and then the towel usually stays on because it just relaxes the animal. I can't even imagine. The whole restraining process is just like, just this mental communication. We just kind of know what needs to be done and just kind of go with the flow of getting the animal, reading its body language. But usually restraining them is a lot easier of a process now, especially that we have four people. Mm -hmm. But if you want to get an alligator to open their mouth, which I don't recommend to people doing, you just got to boot the snoot. <laughs> literally, <laughs> when we want to get cool pictures of some of our bigger animals, we have a very long bamboo stick and we just tap the nose a little bit and eventually they open the mouth. It works with the babies too. We just give them a tap with our finger. I wonder what evolutionarily, how that evolved. Like if something boops your snoot, you better open up. I really think it's because they're opportunistic eaters that as long as they felt something touch their nose, they're like, okay, we'll eat you. <laughs> wow, my gosh. Good enough. You might be a marshmallow, but good enough. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder why they've been around for 80 million years. Um, so many people need this flimflam debunked. Are they dinosaurs? Are they lizards? Are they neither? So alligators are a little newer, less than 40 million years old, but their crocodilian history goes back 95 million years. So they were around when dinos were stomping about. But many patrons, such as Rachel Selby, Justin McCormick, Kelsey Nafa, Carly Cross, J.V. Hampton Van Sant, Sid Gopkajar, Janelle Baker, Jen Squirrel Alvarez, first-time question asker Rachel, Dana DeJernet, Marty Goodwin, and Samantha Steelman all had similar questions. And in Samantha's words, are they our dinosaur overlords? 
lizards meant to rule alongside the chickens? They're not lizards. And there's a whole evolutionary explanation out there for why they're not lizards. And it's unfortunately because they're closer related to birds um, than I would like to think. But they're still reptiles and Mm -hmm. reptiles rule. (laughs) Yes, but not dinos, not lizards. No, they're their own, like, just special thing. So the neat thing about crocodilians are they're the only, like, reptile to have a four-chambered heart. And, I mean, it makes sense because they're so big. But birds also have four-chambered hearts, which is why they're, I think, classified as archaeosaurs. They definitely have some cool adaptions to them that other reptiles don't really have going on for them. Mm-hmm. Is this a good time to talk about gator dongs? Okay, well, too bad. So their dicks live just inside the cloaca, and they don't get inflatable erections. They have stiff, kind of translucent white, collagen-fortified permaboners, just like kind of having a cocked and loaded gun in a pocket, or tucked in the waist of some jean shorts. These dang gators, y'all are ready for anything. Now, what about eggs? In the coloniology episode about Surtles, aka sea turtles, we learned that temperature can affect the sex of the babies, which would be kind of like if your confetti explosion display at your child's genital reveal party sparked a wildfire and your son suddenly turned into a daughter. Ew. JK, that's all gross. And as we heard in the neuroendocrinology episode, endocrine chemicals can shape how we present, how we identify. And as always, my trans and non binary humans, nothing in nature is 100% binary and Animals, including us humble humans, are gorgeously individual. That being said, what chemically does the rising temperature of Earth do to these ancient eggs? Asked Alexa Forsman, Forrest Dots, biological anthropologist Dr. Durkovich, Carrie Kimo, Andrew Shell, Vanessa Frey, Lauren Ehrenholtz, Megan, and Ella Thompson, as well as first-time question asker Cassandra Carlos, who had an inquiry about adoption among the alligator community. So many patrons on Patreon wanted to know about temperature and clutch and whether or not that switches the sex of the baby alligators. Does it? Yes. So they are temperature sex dependent. They basically incubate as females at extreme temperatures, which it's typically taught that crocodilians require high temperatures to be females, low temperatures to be males. But uh, and our lab, we actually found that it's more of the extreme. So around like 33 degrees Celsius, they'll be incubated as females and over 34 degrees Celsius, they'll be incubated as females. And then around 32.8 degrees Celsius, we'll get males. So if you are an American, I see you out there staring out the window, wondering how cold that is. And I also looked it up. And over 93-ish degrees Fahrenheit, you've got more lady gators. 91-ish degrees, more gator dudes. And so that's one of the neat things about ecotoxicology is we're kind of looking at how certain substances in the environment could potentially alter this, especially with endocrine-disrupting chemicals. Um, They have definitely been found to cause sex reversal regardless of incubation temperature. Ooh, so then what is going to happen population-wise with that? It could, depending on where the animal's at, cause a sex bias, and that could cause a population to decline. Right now, I would think the bigger concern would be implications for climate change. And 
small plug for my lab, Parrot Lab at University of Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, Samantha Bach in my lab, she's doing a lot of really cool research with temperature sex determination and potential impacts of climate change and endocrine disruptors on hatchling alligators. Fascinating. Um, what about mm-hmm. in media? James Hales wants to know how often do you notice alligators in movies that are presented as crocodiles, i.e., Temple of Doom? And also, people asking how you feel about the show Swamp People. We're gonna do the alligator shuffle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen the show Swamp People, to be honest. Um, so I'm sorry if I can't give an answer. Oh, that's okay. On that. I'm basically my own swamp person. So <laughs> that's enough for me. <laughs> but when alligators are incorrectly portrayed, it definitely is triggering now that I'm like aware of it. I haven't really seen uh, media where an alligator is being used in place of a crocodile, but also I kind of get it because alligators are a lot gentler than crocodiles. So I don't really blame them for doing that. However, I have seen the movie Crawl recently. I There's two gators down here. And it's the most inaccurate portrayal of alligators I could have ever seen in my life. Oh, no. It was just atrocious. And I just had to keep watching it because it was that bad. Oh, no. It's like Sharknado, but with Florida alligators. Oh, so did they even attempt to get it right? Or did someone just like land on the wrong Wikipedia page? Someone just decided that alligator equals scary and that hurricane equals alligators Mm. will hunt the humans. And that's literally the entire premise of the movie is alligators going out of their way to hunt humans. And like I said, if something boops their snoot, they're going to eat it. Mm. If these humans are just out of the way, these animals are not going to be like, I'm going to go sniff out and hunt a human that's a hundred feet away from me because that's just not how it works (laughs) however hurricanes have seemed to be affecting alligator movement patterns so there's that to be aware of are they going more inland yes i've seen quite a few um articles recently that have been showing all these alligators that have just been in more urban areas in florida from recent hurricanes and this is like kind of all new literature that's coming out about this just their movement behavior changing as a result of all these natural disasters so it's kind of scary because i can't imagine people handling it the best when they could potentially just like kill the animal feeling threatened when the animal's just trying to find its way home. Yeah. Does that happen? Does a lot of kind of vigilante, I saw an alligator, ergo, I killed an alligator. Does that happen? And is it legal? I don't know if it's legal. Um, I know it's not in South Carolina and it's not in Georgia. Most people have to file a complaint and get animal control to come and then they'll euthanize the animal, which in my opinion is a total waste of a life like Mm. that animal probably took 40 to 50 years to get to Mm. that stage of life and someone younger than it is Mm. you know just shooting it because it's a nuisance and i'm saying that in quotes Mm -hmm. um there should be more effort 
placed into relocating the animal, especially regardless, they're going to have a big group of people restraining an animal. Okay. Side note, LA may have a lot of famous couples, but perhaps none is more recently beloved than Tina and Reggie. So Tina was a saucy single career alligator who lived at the Pasadena Humane Society for 18 years, but recently outgrew her digs. And so she was moved to the LA Zoo and she was set up with her new companion, Reggie. Reggie was a pet abandoned in a local lake by an off-duty LAPD officer who must have lost his damn mind. I don't know what he was thinking. Anyway, Reggie went on to eat ducks and stuff and evade authorities, including Steve Irwin himself, for several years, costing the city nearly $200,000 on the pursuit. And one fateful day, he was basking in 2007, and they captured him and sent him to the LA Zoo, and he busted out immediately. He was found chilling on a loading dock, probably trying to buy weed from a zookeeper. But now, Tina and Reggie both abandoned pets in their 20s. They're cohabitating. They get along swimmingly, although they are in a state of mutual friend zone. There's no humping. But if they have babies or Reggie eats someone, TMZ better cover it. I am invested. Ever been bitten? Um, yes, I have <gasps> by a one-day hatched. Oh, I got it, it. Didn't even have its teeth. Didn't even drop yet. Oh, 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 you got nom done. <laughs> it was so cute. I oh. could not let it not bite me. She was so feisty. We oh. found that our hatchling babies were a lot feistier as females, <laughs> and I was kind of like. I respect it. (laughs) The males were so chill, never opened their mouths at us, and the females just needed to be stared at, and they would just start doing the... (laughs) Oh, little lizard bears, I love it. Not that they're... Yes, exactly. (laughs) They're basically lizards at that size. (laughs) Um, Okay, what do you have... What do you possess? Do you have an alligator keychain? Do you have uh, alligator t-shirts? Do you have an alligator nightlight? Like what types of alligator paraphernalia have you been given or have you purchased? It's funny that you say that because I'm literally wearing a gator shirt (laughs) right now that says murder log. (laughs) So, (laughs) yes, I have the most intense collection of gator stuff. I just love anything herpetofauna and ever since starting alligator research that's all i want and so my sister for my birthday gave me a bracelet that's um gold with a little alligator on it and then tiny gator earrings and they're very like subtle and discreet and i absolutely adore it and i have a mask from i don't know if you've seen them on twitter gators daily Mm -mm. uh Okay, he's this like really big gator account and he puts the best gator memes out. And uh, I've purchased a beanie with an alligator on it recently because I love beanies. So yeah, it's a bit it's a bit much. I'm like that crazy cat lady, but with gator stuff. (laughs) Oh, God, I love it. That makes me so happy. Oh, actually, okay, one more Patreon question, because I would never forgive myself if I didn't ask this. Um, Several people, a, a shocking number of people, Alonda Cole, Natalie Bates, Zoe Jane, Evan, and Tegan Andrew all want to know what is up with methagators or meth gators, drugged up gators from people flushing their drugs down the sewer? Alligators in the sewers. Is that part of ecotoxicology? 
I mean, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Wow. I, I feel like when the whole bath salts thing in Florida was going on, mm-hmm. I heard a lot about this, but thankfully I haven't heard too much. The Everglades just has like a weird amount of contaminants. Honestly, alligator ecotoxicology kind of was like birthed because of the contamination going on in Florida. I haven't heard of meth gators, but from a scientific perspective, I would think that alligators that ingest these drugs would just be really delayed and slowed down, but I don't think it would kill them because they're just rocks. It's true. In Tennessee, public outreach was launched begging people not to flush their illegal amphetamines because no one needs meth gators on their 2020 bingo cards. And Laura says it would take a large amount of that toxic substance to actually kill this animal when it's full grown. And also the toilet meth is very diluted by the time it reaches a water source. But I do need you to know, however, that there is a python in New South Wales, Australia, who was addicted to meth because it lived with shall we say, a drug salesman who smoked it and it seeped through the python skin. And the python was described as very aggressive, but they literally sent it to a herpetology rescue located in a prison to be rehabbed. And it's fine now. And I love it. And I'm proud of it. It's really unfortunate how this affects reproduction and just the embryonic stage versus adulthood. These animals are pretty sustainable as adults. Mm. I guess maybe don't eat alligator if you've got to pass a drug test, just in case. Probably yeah. not. Sure. <laughs> um, you never know. You never know. Okay, in all of this, you have had bugs in your head. You've been yeeted by a tail. What is the thing that sucks the most about being an alligator ecotoxicologist? I'm going to guess it's not those things, maybe? No, not at all. I think for me personally, I have to spin my blood samples and like put all my data collection away in its like respective places Mm -hmm. after I get back from the field. And this is around like 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. And my brain is just like doing a blood smear is harder than most people would think. And I mean, I've gotten good at it because I've had to do it a bunch of times. But having to like have this part of my brain turned on for the sake of just getting my samples processed I think is one of the harder parts and my advisor Ben Parrott he's amazing he'll always check up on me and make sure the next morning he's like are you okay did you get home safe Mm -hmm. or before I go to process my data he always asks he's like are you okay are you too tired or something and I'm like I'm fine like I can go do it um because it's just like it adds an extra hour to the night and so depending on what time it is when we're done with the field it's it tends to be a process because I either have to drive a boat back to our field site. I'm clipping the boat from the truck in itself as a process, getting my data or my blood samples spinning. And then sometimes I'll just take a shower on site. Thankfully, we have showers while it's spinning. So I can like be able to just go home and go to bed because there's no way I can go to bed like just all grimy like that. So, yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine a worse way of getting into bed if you've been literally wrestling alligators dealing with raw chicken in an area that (laughs) might be contaminated with nuclear waste like there's nothing there is no way of getting into bed grosser than that (laughs) 
<laughs> I hate cooking raw chicken and I've always hated cooking it and I hate cooking it even more when it's alligator bait. I used to wear gloves when handling it. And now I'm just like, I don't care at all. It's me too. I always just feel like it's a ticking time bomb of all kinds of stuff. Um, and now what, a, yes. this has got to be so hard, but your favorite thing about alligators, what do you love so, so much about them? I love their overbite. Uh, that has to be my favorite thing is their overbite i think it's so cute just i love seeing their i call them their teeth (laughs) with an f (laughs) i'm always even if it's a big one and we're straining it i'm just like look at your cute little teeth (laughs) mine have very nice teeth i know like in the Everglades and in a swamp called Okefenokee Swamp in Georgia, my colleagues have told me that their teeth are black and that they're pretty gross looking animals. Whereas I think mine are just really cute. And a lot of my animals that I've trapped on the Savannah River site are really just like fat and not like overweight fat, but they're just, they've been eating good. And so I just love their morphology just seeing like how well fed they are and their cute little healthy teeth and everything (laughs) i love um their jowls just kind of ooze when we have them restrained and i'll sometimes just kind of like pinch them a little (laughs) (laughs) poor animals being patronized by me i'm just like you're so cute (laughs) this has been amazing i absolutely love alligators more than i ever have before thank you so much for letting me ask you so many shameless questions (laughs) Thank you for having me. These are like my favorite questions to be asked. So ask badass, curious people, ancient, scaly questions because they light up like river fish. Also, Laura asked that I include some shout outs to her amazing advisors, Drs. Ben Parrott and Tracy Tuberville for their guidance, Dr. Thomas Rainwater for his expertise and help in all aspects of this project. Thanks for the awesome help she's gotten from her lab, especially from Samantha Bach, Junsu Bay, and stomach pumper Kristen Zamatis. So thank you and hello to the lab. And if you are listening to this and you're like, boy, howdy, I want that life. I just saw that Dr. Ben Parrott's lab has a job opening for a postdoc, and I'm going to link that in the show notes. What if? What if? Take a chance. You can follow Laura Kojima on Twitter at Laura Kojima or Instagram at Laura.Kojima. And there are links to that in the show notes, as well as links to everything we talked about. That's all up at AllieWard.com slash ology slash alligator toxicology. There's a link to that in the show notes too. You don't have to type it all in. Uh, We are at ologies on Twitter and Instagram. So you can follow us and see photos of Jabba, the traps, the teeny tiny gator that nommed her finger and more. I am at AllieWard with one L on Instagram and Twitter and come say hi. Uh, Those are linked in the show notes too. And hi to the folks on the Ologies podcast Reddit community. I understand there's also a Discord somewhere as well. I will Google how that works. Uh, Thank you to Aaron Talbert for adminning the Facebook group. There is merch available at ologiesmerch.com. And thank you, Shannon Feltis and Bonnie Dutch of the comedy podcast. You are that for managing that. Check out you are that. They're so funny. Thank you so much to all the patrons at patreon.com slash ologies. You can join for a dollar a month and you could submit questions to the ologists and you could find out what topics are coming up next. Emily White and the volunteer transcribers put these sounds to print and those transcripts are available for free for everyone at the link in the show notes. In case you know of anyone who is deaf or hard of hearing and a science lover, uh, thank you to Caleb Patton for bleeping episodes to make them kids safe. 
Also, those are available on the website. Jarrett Sleeper is the assistant editor, and this week I would like to acknowledge his beautiful grandma, Kay, who is no longer with us, but will never leave our hearts. Um, faster than a speeding cater, Stephen Ray Morris is the lead editor and sews all these pieces together each week, and he also hosts a cat-themed show called The Percast and a dino-themed pod called See Jurassic Right. Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music, and he's in a band called Islands. And if you stick around until the end of the credits, you get a nugget of truth. You get a secret from the boggy depths of my swampy heart. And this week, it's that for some reason, these asides took so long to uh, record. It's because I kept messing up. Also, I remember once when I was in seventh grade and my sister was eating Frosted Flakes. She like came into the room, we were watching MTV or something, and she was like, hey, check this out. Try it with half and half instead of milk. And I was like, what? And I went and I did it and it was the most indulgent, delectable thing I had ever had. And sometimes if I'm like at a hotel breakfast bar and they have Frosted Flakes, I'll use the half and half creamers on it. Luxury. Okay, you're great. Until next week, bye-bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, lithology, nanotechnology, meteorology, 